0: Got Wayne and Mark here, and we are excited about our Friday session where we highlight our members. And today we've got a member, Beth Conry, who has been one of our very earliest members. She was a, a founders member from about a year ago. And we actually did a recorded session with her, not that you guys have ever heard, this isn't an encore as we call it, this is brand new. Um, And Beth is a beekeeper and she's been one for many years. It's it's her singular source of income. Um, She lives in an urban setting but has her hives spread out all over our region here. And she is a prominent person in the national beekeeping community. Um, she's been active in national organizations and, and regional organizations. She's going to talk about something today that she has a huge passion for right now and I'm not going to um, steal her sort of surprise by telling you what it is, but um, you just can hang on and hear it as we as we have her speak. Again, because she's not with us live, if you have questions, go ahead and put them in the question box and, we'll make sure that she gets them answered again beth is a very good friend and uh, she actually lives in the area also so i see her regularly so mark if you want to go ahead and cue up the video
1: hi wayne Dorman here for the bi-weekly NTP seed webinar huddle that we hold here at our Northern Colorado headquarters in Loveland, Colorado, both live here at our site and also going out over the web. To those of you that are watching, enjoy what we have for you today. Hi, Wayne Dorband here from Northern Colorado for the Economics in Action webinar. We come to you about every two weeks, every first and third Wednesday of the month, from wherever I am in the world, or whoever our other host might be, and our amazing speakers that we get from all over the United States. So it turns out we actually have someone with us today who's probably less than a mile away from me as we bring her in, um, but she is a world-renowned um, speaker and involved in her topic on a worldwide level. So we're excited to have Beth Conry with us here today, and she's going to talk to us about her passion which is bees and and about about a whole bunch of other things. Beth and I have become friends and we've actually recently met and talked about a number of topics. And so I think that she'll, we'll we'll probably go in as we interview and talk about those things. Um, I believe next week, do we have Cheryl Cran or two weeks from now? It's two weeks in our, our, the first week, the first Wednesday in April. We have Cheryl Cran. Cheryl was scheduled for a previous webinar for us and she's going to be on them and that's going to be exciting and I'm going to recommend please go back in and watch the replays of these. You can find them on our Nurse the Planet site, you can find them on replays that you might have had from the Webinar Jam platform that we use and a variety of other things and then secondly please go in and put your questions that you have while Beth is speaking here um, into the chat area and I always love to see who we've got in our chat area. I know we've got Mark out there. Mark's in Bangladesh, and Mark is a regular here for us. Mark is actually one of our staff and does some writing. And Mark, ask some questions today, buddy. And we've got, I see we've got Darren and we've got uh, several other folks. And so please, if you guys have got questions for Beth, throw them out there. We'll make sure we either address them when it's a good point during the interview here or we'll catch them at the end. We try to stay pretty. Pretty diligent to be about an hour, although if we go a little bit longer, I'm sure the audience won't mind. Usually it's because we're doing something really cool. Lastly, we will have a replay that will be available for this. We'll be editing it, and it'll come up tomorrow or the next day. Um, and again, have fun. Uh, ask questions. I think you're going to enjoy Beth. And so, how are you doing, Beth? How's your day? I'm doing well. It's going great. Thank you, Wayne. Well, and I'm going to tell a little story. Beth is amazing for us today because Somehow we'd had some communication and she actually thought this was going to start an hour ago and she was supposed to be on the road right now. And just, just before we started I asked her a question about her schedule and whether she was on the road. Just repeat that again. Tell us what your schedule over the next <laughs> several days.
2: Yes. Well this is the price one pays for vacation last week. So okay. I will hang up with you and head to Pueblo. Uh, Then tomorrow I have a meeting at DIA, and then I have a training in Fort Collins, and then another meeting in Broomfield, and then Friday I'm in Denver in the morning and Boulder in the afternoon, and then Saturday and Sunday I will be teaching at the Laramie Bee College in, uh, in Cheyenne, Laramie County. And is, it, is it called that, the
1: Laramie Bee College, or are you just using yeah. that in your description?
2: Uh, no, it's called, the, uh, it's called the Wyoming Bee College, but it's put on by the Laramie County Master Gardeners, so it's in Cheyenne, not Laramie. Okay. Um,
1: we're going to do something here, because Beth and I were having a little discussion about this earlier. We like to give out little tips every now and then on our on our webinars. Would anybody in the audience put into the chat That you see a difference in resolution quality between my webcam and Beth's. And I won't give you a hint of which one might be better or worse. But just put put a little note in chat. Mark actually put in nice color, and um, (laughs) Mark also said nice shirt, Wayne. Yeah, it's fancy, right? Um, And just put in there which of the two images, Deb's going to go back and forth between them, right Deb? And you're going to have and see which of the two images looks better. We, we had this as a discussion about Apple versus PC because as I'm looking at Beth's on my screen, this image is better, and I speculated it was because of the webcam I use, which is not the webcam on my computer. And uh, This is a little hint. We have a Logitech webcam that's a 1080p resolution that is Portable, it's USB mounted. I think it's only about $100 in price, and it's amazing the quality difference between the one on mine and there. And I'm um, seeing if anybody's going to respond here on the chat, and then we're going to go get ahead and get started. Well, why don't you guys just respond, and we're going to go ahead and get started. Beth, I'm going to just ask you a few little personal questions. She was really reluctant to talk about the personal stuff, but we're going to do a little bit of that, and then we're going to let her move into bees. Um, Just just give us a little bit about your background, um, especially, I think you put a little bit about your your education here, a little bit personal life, and and, uh, just whatever you want to say
2: there, and we'll move from there. Okay. So um, I was uh, born in Illinois and moved all over the country uh, and settled uh, into Berthoud here 23 years ago when my older son was born. And... um, I have been married for, I don't know, since 1981, however many years that is, <laughs> to my husband Mike. Uh, I have a Master of Business Administration from the University of New Mexico, which is where I met him at, and the um, uh, I worked in the food service business for many, many, many years and then uh, switched over to the bee business. When the aforementioned older son hit middle school and needed to have a little bit of supervision,
1: and then tell us about your uh, your bee-related business and just about B squared apoth or apiaries. Yeah. Ap- yeah. What am I saying?
0: Apiaries. Apothe- ap- A-P-
2: ap- it's apothe- okay. <laughs> Quite all right. Um, <laughs> B squared apiaries is a sixty hive, chemical-free. Um, beekeeping operation located here in Burton. We keep bees um, all the way east to I-25, all the way west to Parish Ranch, and all the way south down to the north end of Longmont. When we say we're chemical-free, that means that we do not use any harsh chemicals in the management of our hives. And then we, uh, in addition to producing magnificent raw honey, also produce uh, these beautiful beeswax candles and uh, these wonderful soaps.
1: Yeah, and I think that, that we're showing some of those on the screen so people can see that. So when you say you have 60 hives and I, you and I have talked bees a little but I am by no means a bee expert, how are they distributed in that? So I'm going to tell folks a little bit more on that geography because I live right here. The distance between I-25 and Parrish Ranch is 8 miles maybe, maybe 10 um, in that range. And and so there's obviously a spread there. So of those 60 hives, how are those distributed?
2: Uh, Most of them are in what we call two packs uh, in people's backyards. And um, then we have several large yards, and they are located at my house, and then they are located at – the other one is at Wide Horizon Farms, which is a large orchard um, just behind the Walmart at 66 and I and uh, 287.
1: So clearly a triangle there. So we're we're headed a little bit farther farther south as we get from Parish Ranch to the Walmart and then back towards the east. Okay. And yeah, we, we have
2: on what we call uh, we have them on what we call uh, routes. So one day we go east, Tuesday we go west, Wednesday we go south, Thursday we stay here, Friday we fix everything that needed to be done in the last four days that didn't get done.
1: And those are your routes because the bees' routes, the bees go back and forth from a single hive, is that correct, or are they moving around also? I'm assuming they're attached to a
2: hive. That is correct. They are attached to their mother. To their mother, right. queen bee is, uh, has got a distinct pheromone that she emits, and they know which hive is theirs based upon that uh, unique smell.
0: And Beth,
1: I live in the canyon that enters, the, that, that hits the Little Thompson River about a mile and a half west of Parish Ranch, and I've thought about putting hives in, and we're going to, but I've always worried that we just don't have enough flowering plants to probably support more than a hive or two. Let's say you expanded your operation towards where I'm at, and we had something there. Would that would that fit into your 60, and now becomes a 61 or 60, let's say 62 hive system? Is that, or is, is how does, I, I'm trying to understand that process just a
2: little bit. Right, and so, so we don't accept people who aren't on the routes. Okay, so in other words, if somebody makes a request for a hive, like right now I have a guy that really wants me to put hives uh, east of the ranch in uh, Larimer County, or I guess he's probably in Weld, um, I, I don't go there. And, and I can't maintain those insects there efficiently or effectively. So you represent more of a possibility since I'm already heading your way.
1: <laughs> so you make those. Those are business decisions for you. Yes. On, and then the, the, the viability of a, a, a set of hives would then be a judgment you'd make based on your observation of what the area pollination-wise looks like and whether it can support that pair of hives, I'm assuming.
2: Well, that that's the theory, but we are, are always missing data, okay? Because we have no idea who else is keeping bees in that area. Uh, so, uh, what we'll usually do is bet and keep an eye on them. And if uh, if there's adequate food, then they'll be happy and healthy. And if there's really adequate food, then I'll get some too.
1: Awesome um so let's let's go back now again on the personal side. when did you develop an interest in bees, your background masters in of business administration There's probably right. was something there where maybe even in your childhood something that caused you to to develop this life path
2: uh yes, yeah, so I was always a buggy when I was a kid and um and I collected bugs in four h and I had a 4-H uh, project, um, and that project won the Maryland State Fair, I don't know, some 40-something years ago, as well as the New Mexico State Fair, and then, uh, then I grew out of bugs, and then I grew back into them.
1: So, did your family move from Maryland? Is that the distinction? I, they're kind of far apart, so you probably didn't just sort of win Maryland and say, oh, let's go to New Mexico. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs>
2: <laughs> Correct.
1: Our daughters were involved in 4-H, and our youngest in particular, and, and actually we did move too, but we, she did actually stopped her 4-H involvement when we moved from the, the Douglas County area up to Larimer County, but but she would have participated in a different 4-H establishment. <laughs> By the way, a message there, we've had several speakers talk about this, but 4-H is an amazing program, highly recommend that if you have any potential of 4-H in your area that you should think about it. I haven't heard a, a story from anyone that I have interviewed or talked to yet that doesn't have a life experience that has passed forward in their life related that, that wasn't somehow related to their 4-H experience. Um, so you gained that an in interest there, but how about on the business side? When, when did you initiate the business side of your interest in bugs?
2: Um, so I just find bees to be addictive. And so uh, I started out innocently enough with two hives like anyone else does, and then just ended up um, kind of growing uh, as my interest and funding allowed me to. And so uh, it's fairly easy to manage less than 20 hives and then there's a distinct break that occurs over that and you have to get much 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 more organized in your record keeping and in your management practices and so uh, once we made it through that hurdle uh, I think we've got a pretty good uh, ability to go forward probably up to a couple hundred highs before we have to make some strategic decisions and regroup again <laughs> to manage that quantity.
1: And- so that break, you went from 20 and then you also said 200. Is part of that, that maybe somewhere in that 20 to 200 could be managed by one person and you move over 200 and now you've got another full-time or part-time help to do that? Or is there a personnel side of that equation?
2: Yes, and I, I think that's exactly where that break point occurs at.
1: Okay, And we'll talk about that more later. But um, So Clearly, someone in the bee industry, somebody in, just in, in the whole area of bugs broadly, and maybe in bees specifically, has had some kind of an influence on you and your business life and, and your passion here, and, and everybody, you've got to know, this is a lady that is amazingly passionate about bees in general, and not just bees from the honeyside, and we'll talk about that. I know she's got some things to say there, but what's a person that maybe has influenced you?
2: Uh, Well, most definitely it would be Tom Theobald from Niwat Honey Farms in Niwat. And Tom uh, is a um, uh, beautiful writer and writes uh, newspaper columns still. He is in the Fence Post, uh, which is an agricultural publication, as well as he used to be in the Bertha and the uh, Niwat recorders when they existed. And that's where I started... With the B side of it was he would just go on and on and on about his bees, and I would read that and go, "Golly, I got to do that."
1: That's awesome. Um, and he's still engaged, and and do you still seek guidance from him at times? Is he still? Oh yes.
2: A mentor. Yes, we are in constant communication.
1: And I'm assuming you. have you've paid it forward or paid it backward now and that you probably have people that, that rely on you in the same sort of way.
2: Um, in terms uh, of- I, yes, I, I think my flock is fine. <laughs> I have a small swarm. <laughs> um,
1: what, um As it relates to the, the business side, and I know the passion that you have and you've mentioned it several times now, which is chemical free. And you talked about Tom and his and his role, and even and some things you've given me in writing. And I'm going to butcher this word, but um, neon aco- Um You mentioned that Tom is adamant about the removal of neon acotenoids, and I probably mispronounced that. So correct me on that. But
2: I, I will correct you on that. Yes. Yeah, so so the uh, the the word is properly pronounced neonicotinoids that makes more and sense. it's probably one that you recognize once it has been pronounced correctly but I don't understand why anybody would get that right off the bat so you are uh, not being chastised in the least for your pronunciation of it. Uh, but uh, Neonicotinoids are a, um, a systemic insecticide and they come in many different flavors but Uh, An insecticide means that it kills insects and a systemic means that it is taken up by the plant's vascular system and is present in the leaves and in the stem and in the flowers and in the pollen and in the nectar and in the fruits and vegetables and nuts and everything that that plant is made up of. Contains minute amounts of that insecticide.
1: And when you and I talked about systemic pesticides the other day. What are some other ones that that a uh, one of our listeners might have known of, just of common names and of things that would be systemic? Um, and then maybe some examples of some things that that aren't that are that that are clearly pesticides. So they're a pesticide, but they're not a systemic pesticide
2: uh so um i am not familiar with common names myself i can tell you the scientific names of uh, many of the neonicotinoids the most popular being something called imidacloprid um it also breaks down into yet another neonicotinoid <laughs> called clothianidin. uh there's a large bee kill incident up in oregon uh, from a neonicotinoid called dinotefuran, and um, there's lovely names like thiamethoxam and etc. Cetera, etc. Cetera. But um, neonicotinoids are absolutely ubiquitous in our environment at this point in time. Um, if you buy a flea and tick collar for your dog, it has got a neonicotinoid in it.
1: Yeah, that was going to be my next question. I'm assuming that they are ingredients in a number of different, um, again, pesticides that we use for a variety of other purposes. So you just gave one example. Do you have any others that, that people could just relate to? So you talked about flea and tick collars. What other just common chemicals that people would be using that yeah. would be,
0: com- you know, a combination right. of a lot of things? Right.
2: Well, typically, um typically this time of year everybody starts seeing everything at the garden center so you are surrounded by racks of of uh, chemical options and racks of seeds and um, if you see something that says will kill bugs all bugs for the entire summer that's a pretty good clue that you've got a systemic insecticide and that you have got one with something called a high residual value to it, which means that it's very persistent wherever you put it at, and it lasts a long time.
1: Makes sense. So, let's stay on that topic because I know this is a huge passion. Tell us about the movement that you're really trying to get towns, cities, people in those locations around the country involved in. And then why? And and I think maybe it, it, you would have to of not being awake to not know that we do have a major bee population reduction going on. Um, and so let's just talk about that, and then what this passion of something that we can all do without having hives and such.
2: Correct. Well, thank you for the opportunity. So so we have um, I have a talk that I deliver called "Making the City Pretty." And that is, it's just a two-part message. One, reduce or eliminate your pesticide use. And two, plant flowers for bees and for other pollinating insects and other pollinators, period, okay, because birds and bats, et cetera, are pollinators also. And uh, I think that within an urban environment, we have, uh, an outstanding number of opportunities to create literally a bee oasis uh, where where these insects can get enough groceries to uh, survive as well as to thrive. And uh, that message is one that I am trying to, to broadcast uh, nationwide, worldwide for that matter, but uh, just to let people know that that uh, they can do something, you know. You 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 can plant flowers into your deck pots that are beneficial to insects, and uh, and you're going to plant flowers anyway. So why don't you kill two birds with one stone, so to speak?
1: And you even talked about even a specific stat- strategy for me, where one person might influence a certain number of other people, and through maybe holding a dinner with a, a speaker and so on. Talk talk a little bit about what.
2: Do Correct. Yes. Yeah, so that that actually is not my program, but that is some people um, in Boulder primarily, and it's called Be Safe Neighborhoods. And Be Safe Neighborhoods rely upon neighbors to talk to their neighbors and ask seventy-five contiguous homes to cease the utilization of systemic pesticides in their lawn care and uh, if they get 75 people to do that then they get a be safe neighborhood certification but they also have started be safe communities where they are getting churches and libraries and schools and those types of properties to make the same commitment um, and uh, and establish be safe uh, environments uh, in those particular areas non-residential areas
1: and I know that you've even gone in our local area here and and developing that system and you'll you'll come in and and let's say do a, a evening meeting for a group and talk about all of what you're talking about now probably more and then the idea would be that contiguous group maybe a leader would develop out of that and then they could go and do the same sort of thing and and encourage another group of 75, and so on. I mean, the the, the concept seems amazing. So I, I just really hope it does catch on. It would be it would be awesome.
2: There are two more Be Safe neighborhoods that just made it this week. All right. And right now, Boulder City Council is contemplating a Be Safe resolution for the entire city. And tell me what your role or what anybody else's
1: listening role, if they're in the area, could be to help that happen. Would it be talking to people, going to the meetings, or what?
2: Uh, Yep, all of those things. The more citizen action we have, the more gets done. Um, The um, Be Safe uh, resolution is a non-binding resolution. Uh, It's actually uh, against a state statute to uh, further restrict pesticide use at a local level, and so they cannot make it a statute of their own uh, at the present time in Colorado, uh, so they are just passing a non-binding resolution to that effect.
1: By the way, a little bit of an aside, we do have a, um, a in our little poll we did earlier, that, that it looks like people are saying My image does look better, but yours is fine. So there must. I think that apple argument might be winning out here.
2: Uh, There you go. Well, mine came with machine. (laughs) So uh,
1: anyway, um, again, you and I have talked about this. So how many in Colorado? Even how many different varieties, species, whatever the right description would be of bees, do we have?
2: So, in Colorado, we have uh, 1111 documented species of bees. We are estimated to have 950 roughly um, resident bees. And out of all of those bees, there's only one that produces honey, and that is the honeybee. The rest of them are something called solitary bees, where they live a solitary life. Uh, either in holes in the ground or holes in wood or uh, some other um, form or fashion, but they are uh, incapable of producing honey because they uh, do not have a colony that supports them.
1: And would they sort of be pairs or is there still a queen? Is there still no. some of the dynamic of the classes with those solitary bees? I'm assuming not. No,
2: they, would, okay. no they are not a social insect. Uh, in fact, you could go so far to say is they are an antisocial insect. Uh, but uh, nonetheless, they are responsible for an inordinate amount of pollination. Many of them are very specific pollinators for very specific plants, so that the plants co-evolved uh, with the insect and vice versa. So tell us about this
0: bee
1: crisis that's going on, if it is that, and maybe I'm overstating it. and. And what some of your thoughts about it are and if it if we can't abate it what are what are the potential at least negative outcomes as we move ahead
2: All right so so there is um, widely regarded to be a pollinator crisis in a in general and a bee crisis in particular a, a bee crisis uh, is not a everybody wants The problem with bees to be a rifle, okay, but the problem is it's a shotgun. So it's not just one thing that's causing issues with bees. It's a whole host of things causing issues with bees. So some of those are parasites. Some of those are disease. Some of those are lack of um, adequate nutrition. Some of those are um, pesticides. Some of those I can control because I am managing the hives. Some of those everyone can impact because they can plant flowers and they can stop using pesticides.
1: You've You talked about just now that there are individual species of bees that literally pollinate one or a small number of species. One of the common misconceptions that people have, and you and I have talked about this also, is what are not bees. So, some people think about some animals that um, are not bees, and and I don't know whether you sent this one to Deb, so I'm hoping if you did she'll find it. You actually, I think, told me that when you're doing presentations, you show a picture of some of these um, insects that are not bees, and they're mischaracterized as such.
2: Yes, okay, so, so many people confuse a western yellow jacket with a honeybee. They do not look physically the same. But Western Yellow Jackets sting, um, and that is what generally leads people to believe they have been stung by a bee. But a Western Yellow Jacket is actually a type of wasp.
1: And you and I talked about allergies at one point, too, about bees, and and would a person tend to be more potentially um, allergic to a Yellow Jacket, and the the Yellow Jacket is on the bottom, and the Honey Bee is on the top. Um, So, and and the size scale is probably about right there, those are, on my screen at least, both of them are bigger than they would be, but it's going to depend on the size of your screen. But, um, what about the sting? Is there, are there allergic reactions that might be different between the two types?
2: Yes, Mm mm-hmm. As with any uh, sting, there's going to be differences because the venoms differ. Um, the biggest difference is that yellow jackets have the capability of stinging many times, and honeybees can only sting once, and then they die.
0: Uh-huh.
2: So if somebody gets stung multiple times, they know that they've been stung by a yellow jacket. And and um, you know, statistically speaking, uh, an allergic reaction occurs in approximately two percent of the adult population. A lot of people have a reaction, but not an allergic reaction.
1: Okay, so um, back on the the concept of of the bee crisis is such that we're having pollination crisis is the better way that you stated it and the bee safe neighborhoods, what are some other things that that we should all be thinking about that we could do better in terms of making this a bee safe world Um, and then and then maybe what should people think about in terms of of beekeeping if they'd like to to, to get involved in it themselves, have a hive or or multiples or so on.
2: Okay, so I would say that um, that um, people need to support sustainable agriculture and sustainable agriculture Probably takes the form of organic. And um, and it needs. And it takes the form of local also. And in order to to have the greatest effect. Um, you know you have to shop with your wallet. And so uh, patronize uh, businesses that support that mentality for sure. Um, when we talk about. Um. Uh, boy, I'm going to derail my train. You don't have to wait for a train. I'm going to deliver you one. <laughs> uh, the, uh, uh, any anyway, rate, with respect to, to keeping bees, uh, I, I have kind of um, fallen back on, on something that people would consider odd as a beekeeper in saying that uh, I really don't want people to keep bees right now. I want people to fix the problem. Um, we can't keep injecting more bees into this bad environment. We've got to fix that environment. And so uh, if we can fix that environment by reducing our pesticide use and increasing the uh, nutrition available for these insects um, in our our landscapes, uh, whether they're agricultural, urban, or suburban, then we will be able to support more bees um, of all types, not just managed hives.
1: And can I, as a a homeowner, uh, uh, let's just say I'm a normal (laughs) urban urban lot homeowner, and I really am passionate about this, and so I want to do what all I can do. And I'm talking to my neighbors. I'm, I'm eliminating the use of systemics myself. I'm trying to get my neighbors to do the same. Can I go out into my lawn and make some physical observations and see if there's fruits of my own activities? Can you see a difference in more of these solitary species, or even other insects? Does that make any sense? And, and go ahead. Yes. So again, I'm thinking about becoming a beekeeper, what should I do? And just repeat that, because we had lost the volume a little.
2: Yeah, no problem. Uh, so what you would want to do is educate yourself, and the best way to educate yourself is to um, take a class. So classes are offered uh, from a variety of sources, typically beekeeping associations.
0: And
1: one of the things you said earlier is, is, and it's beyond bees, and, and I, I didn't ask you this question, but you did actually give me a definition. You used the word sustainable, and that's that's a word that I think everybody has different definitions to, and, and you and I even talked about before about even using that word, but um, if if and you mentioned that people could be sustainable by buying locally, um, and and in the case of honey, let's talk about that. Um, how do we know that if I'm buying honey that I'm getting some honey that's that's not necessarily been contaminated with something? Uh, is there anything I can use? And obviously locally, that's pretty easy. I can ask people where they're from when I buy it at a at a. a farmer's market or even at a, a store. I guess I don't know it when I go to a supermarket but are there any honeys that I could buy at a supermarket that would confirm the sustainability
2: that we're talking about? Um, boy, that's a good question. There is not at this time a federal standard of identity for honey meaning that just because it says honey on the label does not mean that that is necessarily what is in the jar. They uh, are very close to the adoption of a federal standard of identity for honey and when that comes about at least when you buy something in the store that says it's honey it will have to be honey. Currently there is Uh, a what's called uh, country of origin labeling and so you are able to determine if your honey is from the United States or from elsewhere around the world. Um, There is also at the present time a ban on Chinese honey uh, into the country due to contamination issues.
1: Beyond that, though, if I really want to know that it's local, I'd probably either better know who I'm buying it from or it better say it on the label. And you're telling me I may not even be able to know the validity of that label. But so it probably means the safest way to me to do it is to make sure I'm buying from somebody that I know is local and I know what their their philosophy is and how they're raising their bees and such. Correct. Correct. So that leads to the question of, of it's a two parts but one how do you sell your honey as a as a professional beekeeper and then how how do most how do others do it if it's means other than the ways you do
2: uh, I think that I'm probably fairly standard issue in the manner in which we sell honey uh, most of what we sell uh, comes out of here as a retail jars uh, so we sell um, honey in in various sizes of jars that people can buy from here or can buy on the internet we also have several uh, retail outlets that purchase our product and resell it uh in the in the local area uh so our product if you're not buying it on the internet then you can only buy it locally
1: so here's a question that we had from our audience is there a difference between honey From wild bees and honey from farms, so farm-raised, hive, you know, commercial hive-raised.
2: Well, uh, as a chemical, in other words, as the product itself, there is no difference between wild bee honey and 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 managed hives. Okay, as a product, now honeys are like wines in that they vary dramatically in taste and flavor profiles and so honey produced here in Colorado for example we produce two honeys we produce an early season clover honey which is lighter uh, more cinnamony overtone to it Um, and then we produce a later season alfalfa honey which is a darker honey, much more of a butterscotch, full-bodied uh, honey than the clover is. But uh, the national honey of France, for example, is lavender honey, which is made from the nectar of lavender flowers, and so it, it tastes like lavender. And in Greece, it's thyme honey, uh, and so uh, the, uh, the Greek honey uh, tastes like thyme. And all, every area around the country has their own distinctive uh, flavor profiles for their honeys based upon the nectar sources in the area.
1: And that that makes total sense. So, um, this is kind of a crazy question, if the, and if you don't have the answer, don't feel bad, but I, I like to ask crazy ones. Is there the most... Valuable honey in the world. You know, you talked about similar to wines. Obviously, there are wines that have a lot more value than others. Someone who knows the industry is there one that you can just think of, or in your mind, that's you know, it's ten times the value of, let's say, um, another honey from from a location. And and if there is, why is it so much more valuable? Uh,
2: there are certainly honeys that have more value um, for. Uh, indistinct reasons, okay? So, for example, Tupelo honey is generally regarded as more valuable, but that's because there's a song about it. (laughs) Uh, And uh, so, it is also a honey that does not crystallize, and so uh, that is of value to certain segments of people. And so tupelo honey is one that comes to mind as one that uh, that uh, is able to charge a higher price for that particular product. And where would that come from? Tupelo honey comes from the south, uh, down into the Louisiana, Georgia area. From the Tupelo plant.
1: I'm going to put one of my guests that's here in the room with me on the spot. Are you a honey eater at all, Jeff?
2: Yes, the breakfast always.
1: And do you do you do you pay attention to its name and what if it? She's talking about different names yes. of honeys. Yes,
2: um, it's not like intention, but yes, I feel the difference in the taste. Okay. Uh, when we got the honey from a northern side of a country, it's different okay. as compared to the other other cities. So that's how it is.
1: Okay, so Jeff's from Pakistan, and he was just telling us, I don't know if you could hear it, he was a little bit away from the mic, but how when he has honey for his breakfast, how he's, he can know when it's coming from the northern part of the country versus another, other areas around the city. So, um, so along those lines, um, in terms of, of, of honey itself, Tell us a little bit about why honey is such an amazing food for us, and and what are its nutritional values? Uh,
2: So honey is the only food without a shelf lock, and it is the only food that is produced by insects for human consumption. Man has had a relationship with the honeybee based upon the flavor of honey for absolutely eons, And if you think of a early man and an early man's diet, and then you imagine that early man coming across a beehive and tasting honey, you can imagine also how different it was from everything else that he had ever had, and which was meat and roots and vegetables and fruits that don't remotely resemble our uh, vegetables and fruits that we have now. And you know, he went, holy cow, what on earth is this? This is the food of the gods. And uh, and indeed it is, and so honey has had a very long and and uh, and storied history with man, and it's because um, because of its uh, properties as being uh, something that was way sweeter than anything else that was in uh, our diet when we first began.
1: There's a, another question that's come in here about the pureness of honey, and and again, along the lines of you saying, and it was shocking me to hear that there is no way that I as a consumer can know if I buy something at the store that is that it even really is honey, that it could have been something that fabricated. Um, so this question is, can you tell by taste or any other way whether a honey is pure or whether it's been somehow changed?
2: Um, there is. Uh a whole testing program that exists to try and determine whether honey is being transshipped from China via other countries into the US and that testing program is testing for the presence of pollens in those honeys and those pollens then determine the plant that the bees were collecting the nectar from. To get around, people are uh, engaged in something called ultra-purification, which takes honey and, um, and filters it so that the pollen is entirely removed so that country of origin cannot be detected. So, wow,
1: that that's discouraging because you're telling me that it is possible to to essentially fake what you're producing and fake the origin and it must be because the there's enough value that that people that are going to cheat are going to figure out ways to cheat, right? And and that's kind of what we're hearing.
2: Correct. I mean, Correct. typically what typically happens is there is some sensible honey it may not be entirely honey. But sometimes you look on a, on a package that says honey, and if you read it, it will say, does not contain honey. Okay.
1: <laughs> so if nothing else, people should read just, just to make sure. Well, I, yes. I, I'm going to open it to you, Beth, and let you tell us sort of anything you'd like to. We've got about 10 minutes left here, and then I have a couple more questions that I want to finish with. Um, so why don't we I kind of turn it over to you Any topic that you might want to, to choose is open. Um, we haven't talked about candles and, and Deb was showing a slide for quite a while there about your beeswax candles. Certainly please tell us how they can buy from you and, and I think we've had your web page up and so on and, and anything else you just,
2: just whatever topic you might want here. Uh, okay, cool. Uh- Let's see here. Well, uh, I'll answer the first one first. So with respect to the candles, uh, beeswax candles are... the, The original reason that bees were brought to this country was for beeswax. They were not brought here for pollination. They were brought here for beeswax. And they were brought here for beeswax for religious ceremonies. So a bee makes an infinitesimal amount of wax in its lifetime. About... Um, the, if you have a decent fingernail on your finger, about the white part of your fingernail is what a bee produces in wax in its lifetime. And it, uh, it creates that wax and forms it with its mandibles to make the beeswax pattern that, uh, that we are all familiar with. And uh, it is a very precious commodity. So if a hive produces, let's say, 100 pounds of honey it will produce approximately one pound of beeswax. And so beeswax is expensive. There's no other way that it can be made except by a bee, just like honey. There's no way to make honey. A bee has to make honey. And uh, the beeswax, as a result, is a beautiful, beautiful product. It, uh, it burns very clean. It generates uh, negative ions that pull half. Um, uh, pollutants, uh, you know, little microscopic, the dust motes that you see out of the air. Uh, it has a long uh, burning flame, uh, beautiful color to it, it's the only non-carcinogenic candle out there actually. And so uh, beeswax is uh, highly valued, valued in, and the candles are a valuable product. We make a beautiful candle. Uh, we make several different uh, types of them. We decorate them with uh, dried flowers that we try and source as locally as we can. And, um, and we sell a lot of them. Um, and then as far as, uh, then we also make a beautiful soap. And our soaps are the, are, uh, don't have any chemically synthesized scents uh, to them. Uh, so they are great for anybody with any skin sensitivity whatsoever. Um, honey, and this is something that people don't uh, have kind of lost sight of in our modern medical world. But honey is an uh, ancient wound treatment. Uh, so when you were on a battlefield and you got you know stabbed with a sword, uh, you went charging off, or somebody went charging off looking for a beehive to pack that wound with um, with honey and uh, honey is an antibacterial, an antifungal, an antiviral, and is incredibly valuable um, for its uh, its uh, therapeutic benefits for skin and wound uh, care.
1: Well, those are awesome facts that I'm sure a lot of us didn't know. I certainly didn't know some of those things. What, what other, any other topic that you'd like to cover? Um, again, Deb's been showing your website here with pictures of those things as you're talking about them, I would encourage anyone and everyone listening to go to Beth's site and, and order some products from her. It um, sounds like they're amazing. I'm gonna, I'm certainly going to do it. Um, <laughs> so um, I've learned a lot. We, we, we've, we've covered a lot of things here. Do you have anything else real quick or I'm just going to end up with a couple of other questions for
2: you? There you go. Well, I think the last thing I would like to end with is to let people know that um, you know the honeybee is the most well-studied beneficial insect on the planet, and um, it is an incredibly beneficial insect. And if it, people can um, sort of restore the respect that they used to have generations ago for the bug, it would go a long way. Um, and people are afraid of bees anymore, and it's just sad because bees are are really not to be feared, by and large. That's a great message,
1: and I'm one of those people that I did have some kind of an allergic reaction. My mother actually told me, got, got me terribly scared of bees when I was young because supposedly I had some kind of an allergic reaction when I was, you know, before I could remember, eight, nine months old or something, yet I've been stung more recently, and I don't think I have that a reaction any longer. So, uh, certainly, I think there is a misconception there. Here's my last couple of questions because these are ones that I had prepped you for a little bit and you gave some great answers. Um, and the first one is What's a key skill that you've learned in the recent past that's influencing how you're working in business
2: today? Uh, okay, so okay. my response was time management. Yes. And time management uh, as a uh, parent. As a wife, as a business owner, as president of two large nonprofit beekeeping associations, as a board member of two other large nonprofit pollinator associations, I need to manage it and manage it well. And so time management is of crucial, crucial importance to me in running my businesses and my life.
1: Do you use any tools to help you with that? Anything that, that our listeners might? Or is it just a, a thought process? It's a priority for you?
2: Uh, yes, yeah, so I, I certainly use uh, calendars, uh, but no, that's that's the only tool I use. I okay. used to get away without one of those, too. <laughs> um, it caught up with me. <laughs> and so this will be the last
1: question. Um, and, I, and anyone in the audience, if you've got others that you might want to ask, go ahead and throw them up here now on the screen. Um, and you gave us a really cool quote. So we always ask folks: Is there is a any a quote or a phrase from anyone famous that you can remember um, that is just something that's memorable to you? And I've found that everybody's got one, and all we've had audience that really enjoy it. So you gave us one here. And um, do you remember what that is? And if you could give it to us to the audience.
2: Certainly, the quote that I gave you was, good enough, seldom is. And the uh, quote is attributed to a woman by the name of Debbie Fields, who is more widely known as Mrs. Fields Cookies.
1: Right, that's what I thought. That's a really great quote. So, good enough, seldom is. Well, that's all I've got and I'm not seeing any other questions come up. This has been amazing, we're, we're right at an hour here. I know this is going to be a lot of great information for our listeners and please make sure to tell your friends about this, listen to it on a replay which is available, it will be on our website, it will be on our Facebook pages that we put up. Um, you just never can get enough good learning and information. So. Beth, we thank you so much for being here. Drive safe and all those travels you're going to be doing here in the next few days, especially today going to Pueblo. The weather's going to be nice, I think, so that won't be an issue. But, um, again, thank you so much. We'll, you and I will stay involved at that local level like we've talked about. We'll see if we can get Bertha to truly be this, the garden city as it's called. And um, thank you. Thank you,
2: thank you very, thank much, you Wayne. very much, Wayne. Thank you too, Dad. I appreciate
1: you both here. All right, everybody. Again, signing off live from Northern Colorado. This is Wayne Dorban in Economics
2: in Action. We'll see you again in a couple of weeks with Cheryl Cran as our next guest.
0: Hey, everybody.